Welcome, friends, to Quest Rewind, Episode 2, where we continue our adventure and going back to the 90s and talking all about the Nintendo 64. On the previous episode, we focused on everything that happened before its launch, from the Ultra 64 to the very first time that people saw Super Mario 64 and had that reaction of, oh my goodness, from 2D to 3D, the prices, the situations happening with Sony comparing the N64 and its games and the price points and all that, because I mean, those cartridges were not cheap. So if you haven't, make sure to go back to the archive and check that episode out, because this one... This one's going to be all about the launch of the Nintendo 64, which came out in North America on September 29th, 1996. So for this episode, it's going to be starring three lovely gamers, including yours truly. Juan Velas from Puerto Rico. I'm Ryan from Boston. And I'm Canadian Keith. And uh, Keith, I actually want to piggyback on the conversation we had on the previous episode about the whole fact that the N64 cartridges were $70. Now, you look at the console and it's $200 price point, and it's actually not bad, right? All things considered. But knowing that we pretty much got this massive lineup of games, we're talking about two games and Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. What did you think about that price point? And considering inevitably you have the one main game most people are going to get. Mm -hmm. It was very much a one-trick show in the Nintendo 64 launch lineup, but something I just learned is that this was a Nintendo system that did not come with a pack-in game. So yes, even like in two or in 1998, 1996, sorry, standards, the $200 price point is pretty good. But the fact that you had to add on that $60, $70 on top of it, you can't really call it a $200 console at that point. So when you compare that against something like the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo at launch, it was a pretty is a pretty hard sell probably in 1996 terms like yes you had an amazing game sitting right there and most of the conversation was oh my god you need to see this game you need to try super mario 64 but it was something that you had to throw a little more money out to do so and yeah that must have been one of the first times in history that the nintendo console did that if not the first and I just wanted to say, like, you brought up a really interesting point, and I want to, after talking about this, I want to take it to Ryan. You mentioned it's like, here's the launch, you know, price, but then there's always the packets. In this case, you always want to get a game. And, you know, just before this, we got the PS1, and this was the generation where, yeah, you have the game, you have the console, but hey, you got to fork over 40 bucks, and you got to get yourself a memory card. So, it's an it's an interesting strategy where companies will try to have the lowest price point possible, knowing that at the end of, at the end of the day, you're not really spending that, right? Because with the N64, you can get up to three additional controllers. Yeah, so between once you that, get that memory card and Super Mario 64, really, it's a three hundred dollar console at that point. Absolutely. So yeah, Brian, in, in uh, your case, like talk to me about that. It's finally out, September 29th, nineteen ninety six. Two games. About 70 bucks a pop. What do you think? It's lucky that it had a very, very good game to, to come out with it, right? Because a two-game launch is a little bit weak. And not even just a little bit weak, it's super weak. But when one of your two games is one of the greatest video games of all time that people still play very actively to this day, that definitely helps carry you through uh, the next few months when you start to get more titles coming out. But luckily, 
Super Mario 64 was so good that it kept people busy. And of course, the other game being Pilot Wings is uh, a fine game, a fine game in and of itself. But oh, let's be honest, everyone was talking about and playing Super Mario 64. Yeah, Pilot Wings wasn't exactly setting the world on fire I the never way played that it. Super Mario 64 was. I played it a little bit back in the day, but not all that much. Like, yeah, Pilot Wings kind of gets forgotten by its extremely successful older brother in Super Mario. <laughs> and uh, by the way, so a lot of the things we'll be uh, pulling articles from, want to give a credit to businessinsider.com and nintendo64.fandom.com. So as I mentioned before... The launch date for North America was September 29th, 1996. Now, Japan got it a little bit before that on June 23rd of that same year. Now, I always thought as a kid, and this is why, once again, I love working on this podcast. It's like you're able to validate like, you know, Keith, you know, thought differently about the launch lineup and all that. I was always under the impression because Japan always gets so many games that we don't get, right? And I know it was still the case here, but apparently they only got one more game in Japan and it was some kind of a board game type of deal, like a visual board game. So it's really interesting to see that when you look at the launch lineups in a console, usually they'll try to have like a fighting game, a racing game, a little bit for everybody, right? Because if Ryan and I are in the same household, we may both be gamers, but that doesn't mean we play the same game yet here. Nintendo just said, look, if you don't like Super Mario 64, we got ourselves a problem. But looking back, would you have liked to have them added another genre? And if so, what do you think was missing? Maybe not even necessarily a specific game, but it's like we have platformer. Pilot Wings, you can call it, it's not an adventure game because of the type of game. It's a weird genre, right? It's it's a flying game, <laughs> really. You, it's hey, a landing you gotta hit game, those yeah. rings. You got to hit those rings and that's all you got. But honestly, I would say that this generation is an exception for me in the way that 2D to 3D is arguably one of the biggest jumps in video game technology. And the fact that it took a little longer for everybody to catch up and the launch of the Nintendo 64 suffered for it. Like, I think this is an instance where people get a pass for that one just because of how significant the, uh, how significantly the industry was moving forward with that one. But hypothetically, if I were to add something, I would add something like a fighting game to that just because I'm not going to call it a cash grab, but there were so many big fighting game friends franchises that they could have uh they could have leaned on and i mean really in later on in the n64's lifetime they leaned on all of the mortal combats the killer instincts the clay fighters of the world that would have been something that would have added at least that name value to beyond nintendo to the um to the n64 lineup that it was missing just to piggyback off of what keith was saying i do think a little bit of variety would have helped but Again, Mario 64 was such a revolutionary game that it really was carrying it. And I think because at this point, the PlayStation's already been out and they just need to get the system out. They couldn't really wait any longer. So they were kind of their hands were kind of tied in this situation. But I think having a sports game or another like, you know, a racing game because Pilot Wings wasn't really a racing game. Either of those could have really helped kind of pad out a little bit more variety. I think uh, 
and it's interesting because it's relevant now. I would have loved like a cruising game because, you know, like I love me those cruising games like Cruising World, oh, Cruising yeah. USA. Now they just came out with a new one that's out on, on Switch, which is just like super odd to think about. But Keith, you, you brought up an amazing point there that I, I never thought about, which is what if Nintendo by design said, look, we've seen our fair share of bad 3D games. And I mean, launch lineups usually are cluttered with them. So maybe I Nintendo mean, look said... at the PlayStation 1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So perhaps Nintendo speculated and said, look, let's let's direct the attention to the thing we know works. Because that way, if people get a really good first impression, then that paves the way for other games. Versus imagine they came out with like 10 games and nine of them were crappy 3D games and you'd be thinking to yourself, oh man, maybe 2D is still like the way to go, which... I'd actually like to go back because Super Nintendo games were still coming out here. It's not like they discontinued that. So um, you might argue that 2D was still majority of the way to go <laughs> exactly. in 1996. And uh, we just uh, picked a, a couple of different games that came out around this time and after. Okay, so some of these came out after the launch of the N64. The first one I got to bring up here to this day, uh, I think it was Modern Vintage Gamer. There was some channel on YouTube that did a great job talking about this game. It's Street Fighter Alpha 2. So for context, this game also came out on PS1. So I'm talking about Street Fighter Alpha 2 on the super freaking Nintendo. I always thought this was a, a ROM hack because the game should, should not run on a Super Nintendo. It's laggy, it's buggy, it's slow, but... Think about the fact that you have Street Fighter 2 and Alpha 2 also both in the same console. Did you guys even know this one came out for that, considering it was oh, a yeah. very popular arcade game? I used to play the heck out of the Super Nintendo version of that game. I owned a copy really? of it, actually, and I would bring it over to it's my like friends. It's like super rare now. It is. I know. I wish I still had it somewhere. But yeah, I this was probably my favorite version of Street Fighter growing up. Like, you know how everybody that's dabbled in fighting games at some point has their Street Fighter? This was mine. What about you, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I didn't know that existed. I, I'm not someone who's really up to speed on a lot of the, the Street Fighter games. I know there's so many versions of Street Fighter 2. I just remember whatever the first version of Street Fighter 2 was on Super Nintendo. I had no idea that a, a game that was also on PlayStation was also running on a, a Super Nintendo, which is pretty impressive. It always this begs was the question. my first foray into Akuma. Everybody remembers their first. That's true. And <laughs> I'm not going to go to the last <laughs> part. It, it kind of goes back to the conversation where in the PS2... Once we got to the very end of the generation, that's when God of War 1 and 2 came out. And it let you know, hey, like these developers, they can squeeze out some juice out of these consoles. So it'd be interesting to see like if developers kept developing at that time, because we still have Super Nintendo games that are coming out now, right? But it's more with that nostalgic vibe. So other games that also came out uh, around that time, NBA Live 97, uh, FIFA Soccer, Terranigma, NBA Hang Time, and last and... Definitely not least, especially for this list, Donkey Kong Country 3. I was blown away because I always just assumed it was Super Nintendo. Here's the main lineup. N64 came out. And yeah, the sports games, I don't think anybody's surprised. Like we, we kept getting Tony Hawk games. Like those are the, the transitional games for generations. But, you know, taking it to you, Ryan, being the huge DKC fan, uh, did you play this one after 
the N64 came out? Like, talk to me about that. I did because I didn't get an N64 right away. Uh, I probably didn't get it until the following Christmas. So this game came out right. Yeah, basically, I think in December of 1996 or November, sometime around the holiday season. And I remember I asked for it for Christmas and my dad wasn't able to get it like they were sold out wherever he looked but he was able to rent it for me on christmas so i was able to play the game and then later on we were able to to get it but i did play through it back then and i kind of love the little easter egg in the game if you go into one of the areas where you save the wrinkly kong is the the character she's like the grandmother kong but she's playing uh n64 uh sometimes when you go in there and you can hear like the Mario Castle music in just like Ooh, Super amazing. Nintendo version. Oh, so as a kid, that's that, I did suck, not know though. that existed. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, how must that feel for that wrinkly Kong can play the thing that you yeah, can? Yeah, exactly. You don't have it. <laughs> well, you know, I had some friends that had the N64. So it's like whenever you went to their house, you got to play it and got, you know, a feel for it. And you're just like, oh, I can't wait to, to get my own. Um, but I, it's like I already knew I already recognized the music because I had played super mario 64 at a friend's house by then so uh that yeah it was just it was really cool uh easter egg to kind of get you hyped up for the uh n64 and a little commercial i guess for for anyone that was still playing super nintendo at that time that's kind of crazy to just to think about and especially because yeah there there's donkey kong country 3 i know people still talk about that you know with like they didn't love the uh, i forget K- kitty kong is it yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Kitty Kong. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But it's still like a main Nintendo game, right? And consider the fact that the Nintendo 64 was delayed. So in another timeline, what would this have looked like? Like, as I'm talking about this, it's like this console should have come out like a year before. So what do you think we would have ever gotten DKC3? Where that be the case? Because I, I don't think so. Yeah, so I mean, some of these projects might not have been like got may not have gotten the green light essentially if they knew N sixty four was going to come out a year prior, or they would have just developed it for the N sixty four. And I do think that a game like Donkey Kong Country, which had such a unique like graphic style to it, if they tried to just do basic three D graphics, but even maybe still be a two D platformer, it probably would have looked like garbage by today's standards. So, thankfully, uh, it came out on the Super Nintendo, where even to this day, those graphics look phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting train of thought, just because game development was so different in those days, and a, a game dev cycle wasn't two or three or even four or five years in the making, right? Like these sequels are coming out a year later, sometimes even less. So if the N64 did come out earlier, you might not see these games. Things, they might've taken things from Donkey or Donkey Kong Country 3 and maybe just like folded them into Donkey Kong 64. But I don't think you would ever, that game would have ever seen the light of day. Yeah, it's amazing to think they cranked out DKC 1, 2, and 3, all, you know, 94, 95, 96, like, boom. That's insane yeah. to think about. <laughs> There's a reason Rare so has that pedigree from people. Oh, yeah. And then, unfortunately... And then they had 64. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you've said that you've enjoyed that game, Ryan. We'll talk about that in the future, but, I, yeah, I, I just can get into, like, the 3D 
uh donkey kong oh donkey kong 64 oh no it's a it's a very flawed game rare had Mm -hmm. much better n64 games that we will get to (laughs) i will go on record here and say that the only productive thing donkey kong 64 gave society was the dk rap (laughs) Um, i'm not gonna argue it's a beautiful lanky kong man lanky kong no just the dk rap because he's finally DK. here and he's coming for you. Don't keep calm. No, no. We get like copyright. I, I don't know. Anyway, people. <laughs> so this lovely console was initially going to be $250. It's going to be $250. And then, yeah, they, they chopped it down. So between one thing and another, let's say it was 270 right? An average price point between the console and a game of choice. And what's interesting here, we pulled up some information because... There can be a lot of people here that this is going to make me feel, I know there's a lot of people listening to this that did not grow up with a Nintendo 64 GameCube or I'm even going to say Wii, right? It's a little painful, but here's some data coming to us from Business Wire. Uh, During the system's first three days in the market, the retailer sold 350,000 consoles of the half a million available console units. Uh, During its first four months, the console yielded half a million unit sales in North America. Nintendo successfully outsold Sony and Sega early 1997 in the United States. And by the end of its first full year, 3.6 million units were sold in the United States. So for context, once again, the PS1 has already been out. So it's not this case of one console came out in two months, you get the other one. We're talking about quite the wide margin. Yet despite that, kind of, I guess kind of like how the original Xbox struggled a little, little bit, the PlayStation was still the new kid on the block. Sega already had you know itself, uh, itself established with the Master System and everything else. So this 3D console comes in and kind of just like blazes through the other stuff considering the fact it had two freaking launch gates right yeah i hope nintendo has a good benefit plan because mario's going to need to see a chiropractor after carrying that launch on his back right (laughs) it's kind of crazy i mean i think with how successful the super nintendo was a lot of people might have been holding out and waiting for that next nintendo console i mean i i know i was PlayStation wasn't even on my radar at this point in time. I'm not sure if a lot of kids were in the same place, but it I wish there I wish there was like a poll, but you know, back then I'm sure they didn't take numbers of like kids who had a Sega, did they jump to PlayStation? Because we know like the Saturn. No, they the were Saturn busy being burned by the Master and System and the Saturn. <laughs> yeah. We know the Saturn didn't exactly have the most successful uh run, right? So did Sega it's like did kids who have a Sega jump to PlayStation and kids who had Super Nintendo jump to N64 or what you know what was that? I- I'd love to to know if that information's out there, but I don't think people were really that deep into video game journalism at that time but uh and and, you know it it makes sense i think that early on n64 sales were were outpacing at least during these months the playstation just because this is now the new thing the hot new thing out so they kind of had that momentum for those uh through the holidays and i think what's always going to be interesting about this shift it's like from 
N64, PlayStation 1, Generation Forward, yeah, there's always the new thing, but we got into 3D, right? We're not in 4D or something like that. We eventually got to VR. So this was like the last significant shift. I guess the other one would be from PS2 to PS3 in terms of like high definition, right? Because we yeah, just keep going like up maybe in that. 480 to 1080 is the last big one. But even then, that's not even close to 2D versus 3D. Because it's literally another dimension, right? It's not just a gimmick you or something. Like the that. next dimension we literally did dude it's freaking mind-blowing and then a- as a kid i really at least here in puerto rico we didn't have like uh or at least where i lived if i'd go to kb toys it was nintendo and sony sega maybe had like i'm gonna say a microscopic corner but i really didn't come to play any sega console until the dreamcast because i barely knew about it in, in your case like Going back to 96, if you would go to a to a game store, there's the N64, hot and spicy. What, what else was there? Was there a conversation about like the Jaguar or anything else that came out in those few years? I had no it idea was. the Jaguar existed until Angry Video Game Nerd, I'll be completely honest. <laughs> and the Saturn, I, I remember hearing about the Saturn and I maybe played it once at a kid's, at some like random kid's house. Uh, it was Jaguar, either, by the way, came out in 93, just for those wondering. Yeah. And, and I think Sega kind of confused me as a kid because I knew about Genesis. I was very familiar with like Super Nintendo versus Sega Genesis. But then I heard about like Sega CD and I th- like I thought that was like a new console. I-, I didn't understand what that was. And then Sega Saturn came out and I was like, is Sega Saturn Sega CD? Like, I, I didn't know as a kid, like I they had all this stuff coming out that it didn't I wasn't able to make sense of it. Um, and then, yeah, really, the next thing after Genesis that Sega really stood out to me was the Dreamcast, um, because that that's where they really kind of made a, a real second mark after after the Genesis. But most of the time when I went to game stores, it was around the N64 time. I was paying attention to Nintendo 64 and PlayStation and very little else. Yeah, it was the same thing for me. This was a point in time where Sega had kind of been pushed to the side by the rest of the industry because, yeah, there were some places that were still selling a lot of Genesis games, but those were like the older games, the old generation where you would find in like the bargain bins or significantly cheaper than the new consoles, the new generations. And then it was very, very much just PlayStation and N64 up until 1999 when the Dreamcast kind of was like the second wind of the Sega consoles. But as far as 1996 goes, they were very much not a factor. And just uh, some some more interesting information. So the PS1 launched before that, but it was 300. So we're talking about 100 bucks less. So strategically, we're saying that for less than 300, you know, with or without tax, you get the N64 and you get the game, right? And another curious fact is the Sega Saturn came out in 94, but that price point, what, what did you guys think? Uh, I forgot if I said this in the previous episode. I'm just going to make it fun, though. What was the launch price for the Saturn? No Googling. What did you think that launch price was? I'm going to say... Wasn't it insane? I'm going to say 299 $299? I'm going to say got? 400 uh, Keith actually got it right, three ninety nine. 
Wow. So I remember it being like a boutique item that it was like the Neo Geo in the way that it was just way too expensive for anybody. <laughs> like, let, let's just think about that. Give or take two years before the N64, there was a console that is double the price. And then Nintendo says, hey, I'm giving you two games, but you got the Mario, you got the video game comfort food. It's literally half the price. I mean, that's and then you got the PS1 in the middle. You can kind of from a from a consumer standpoint, it's pretty easy to see now with hindsight like, oh, so these this is why these two consoles dominated the market, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to make some people very, very mad. But the PlayStation at that time was basically just a better, more economically friendly Saturn. Like there was really no reason to think of, especially after it was released, to think about the Saturn when you had the PlayStation, which was cheaper, had a promising library of games around the uh, around the corner, and just had more legs than the Saturn did. Like it, the lifespan of that was just very short and kind of never really got out of the gate because of how expensive they made it. That was a that was a very bad choice. Yeah, because you have to think that you nowadays you can get away with a video game console priced at $400, right? There's $3,000 phones. So. You know, and yeah. yeah, and the reason because of that is because we grew up and now we have money to spend and we're willing to spend that on video games. But and back Pokemon then, cards. convincing like my parents to get me a $400 video game console like they would have laughed at me and probably whooped yeah. my ass yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's that's just not happening but now you know us being older still playing video games and you know eventually you have kids you understand it you might be willing to you might be willing to pay that not only for your kid but hey you get to play it too so nowadays you can get away with that but i can see why they got completely burnt because they you know they were maybe ambitious with the technology but if you had that price point to, too high then you're just not going to have any customers absolutely and uh so we are going to talk about our first experience with the n64 and a little bit more about super mario 64 because it's just like the game but something that was quite interesting is once again september 29th 1996 for north america however in Europe, it actually came out March 1st, 1997. So not a full year afterwards, but it was the next year. And when you look at the launch lineup, there's not a lot more, but there's two games that make me think, man, like if you would have lumped up these two games with like Super Mario and Pilot Wings, like that would have been pretty badass. So the launch lineup for Europe was uh, FIFA Soccer 64, Pilot Wing 64, Super Mario 64, a lot of 64s, but then we have Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, Turok Dinosaur Hunter, and Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey. So obviously, I'm talking about FIFA and Wayne, no. You have Star Wars <laughs> hey, and Wayne's Turok. Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey was not bad. I think I as rented a Canadian, that. As a Canadian, I had to try it. It, it was a, pa <laughs> a packet title in Canada. <laughs> exactly. In fact, Wayne Gretzky came to your door and he's like, here you go, bud. <laughs> so, Keith, uh, talk to me about Shadows of the Empire. I, I assume you've played that. Uh, actually, I haven't. I've played oh. the one level that everybody else has played, the Hoth one, that was mind-blowing, and then I haven't played it beyond that. But I've heard nothing but great things, and it, 
this is what I'm talking about. I think this and Turok are great examples of just other companies not being quite ready for 3D and just needing a little more time in the oven to get it right. And they had that extra six months uh, between the US and the European launch to get it right and to get it out there. And it really shows just like how much like how 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 ready they were for something like that and it might lead you to argue that maybe the launch should have been delayed another six months to have all of those games come out in north america at the same time and it not just be the super mario 64 because show. for for context uh, star wars shadows of the empire is a third person shooter and turok is a first person shooter which as of this recording it's still being re-released today, right? Like, oh, Limited yeah. Run has physical copies. So, I think it's a fairly popular game to this day. Uh, what do you think about this launch lineup, Ryan? Obviously, lots stronger and more well-rounded. Uh, I think this is basically... This is the launch that I'm sure that they wish they had. I think this is a very fair lineup. And it uh, kind of... All the pieces are there for a nice, nice launch uh, set of games. And yeah, Shadows of the Empire is a game I remember hearing about and like kids talking about it. And I still have never played that game. So I don't know, maybe maybe someday I will have to. Everybody needs to check out the Hoth level. After that, I don't know what's in that game. It's probably pretty good. But that Hoth, Hoth level, though. I think people just associate Star Wars and N64 and just go to Racer. At least that's definitely the case for me. Yeah, I mean. There's a lot of good Star Wars games. We, we we could do like a series of episodes in Star Wars. I I know Keith would not complain about Star Wars game coverage. So yeah, I'm just I'd, I'd love that to out. cover something like Knights of the Old Republic one day. Hey, they announced the remake, so <laughs> who knows? Anything's possible. <laughs> Before Keith uh, punches me in the face. So September, right? My first experience with the N64, I'm 100% sure, at least 99.8. Uh, that the first time that I played it was via rental at Blockbuster in Christmas. Because I had a PS1, but everybody was talking about Mario. So I think it was like a Christmas gift. Like we didn't have enough money to actually buy the console. But I remember looking at the cartridge when they were packing everything up and then just putting in the cartridge in the console, kind of like the Super Nintendo, was just so satisfying. And then... The freaking controller. We talked a little bit about that in the previous episode, but I just didn't know how to hold it. I didn't get it, right? It's like, okay, Mario's a 3D game, so I guess this is how you hold it, but then I'm accustomed to holding the D-pad, which is on the left. So having said that, talk to me. Uh, let's start with uh, Keith. Talk to me about that first experience that you had with uh, an N64 from holding the controller to the game. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where exactly it was. Um, I'm, I was just trying to search the name of the store that it was in, but I remember it was in a yellow kiosk and they had like Super Mario 64 playing in it. And then I think you had to like put money into it or something and you could play like 10, 15 minutes of Super Mario 64. Kind of like hotel rooms. Hotel rooms had that for a while. 
Kind of, yeah. Much like this hotel room I stayed in like 2008 that still wanted to charge me for a Nintendo 64. That's another story for another day. <laughs> but regardless, I, I remember holding that controller for the first time but not really being able to wrap my head around it. Like, I think I re- tried to use the C buttons to get Mario to move at first and it just wasn't working. And it was, it was, it was very hard to wrap my head around the Trident at first. Eventually, you get used to it and it starts to make sense but it was very uh compared to the super nintendo uh controller that i was used to it was very much like a next level thing like it was a step well above in complexity so although i had i didn't get the super nintendo until late 97 i i think i had you know, you have friends and luckily some of your friends are a little more well, their family's a little more well off than you. So they had a, a Super Nintendo. So I feel like everyone had that friend that had all the games. But um, so we would go over to to his house and, and play Super Mario. I'm sure that's where if I didn't play it at a game Super store. Super Nintendo or N64? I'm, I'm sorry, confused N64. Now. But <laughs> yeah, I, I did play, say, wait, wait, we wait, did wait, play wait. Super Nintendo, Roman but heck. obviously when the N64 came out, that's yeah. that's what it was all about. So if I didn't play it at some random toy store or game store, then I I probably played it at a friend's house and played some Mario 64. I was definitely blown away by the game and I was ex- like I had seen quite a few different games by the time I finally got my hands on a N- Nintendo 64. So I had a pretty good idea of what games I wanted to get by the time I got, you know, was able to get one. It was a store in Winnipeg called Pictures, Frames and More. And there was also a corner of it that also had a wrestling store in it called Jabronis. Oh, that's I amazing. To, I needed to that's let, get that out there. <laughs> It was Jabroni's Hardcore Wrestling Store. Shout out to Joe Aiello. Continue. Never forget, man. <laughs> Never forget. But yeah, that that was a, a pretty amazing experience for me. I remember even though I had played 3D games because I had a PS1, you know, by that point I had played Battle Arena to Shinden, Destruction Derby. But I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I got 3D gaming, right? It's like, I, I guess it's the next step. And then I played maybe three seconds. It's I think we all recall our first time you see a pipe, you know, going up from the ground. Mario jumps out. There's no music. There's nothing, right? You kind of just get some text, but then you're kind of just left there thinking, what do you do? And then that's when you realize, oh, I, I got I, I, I don't even need to go to the castle. Like I must have spent easily 40 minutes just outside being mind blown over just you know climbing the trees um understanding the the backflips like how fluid the animation was because right now i'm playing through a couple of games on on ps3 playstation 3 couple of generations after and when i go back to some of these games you feel the clunkiness with like the ragdoll physics and all that but then you go back with super mario 64 it's like what the hell like what is this advanced tech that you do nothing in the game and it just feels so fluid, so beautiful when you backflip? It's just like freaking glorious. Damn it. I, I don't even have a question. It's, it's very satisfying to, to control Mario because yeah. I, I recently replayed it when the 3D All-Stars came out for the Switch and I, for the first time in my life, got the all 120 stars in Mario 64. Nice. I'd actually never done nice. that before. And... There's a reason people still 
play it and speed run it all the time is because Mario's movement is so incredible for a game for being one of the first 3D platformers. It's incredible how like momentum matters, the variety of moves like your long jumps and the the dives into, you know, you dive and you can jump up again. If you do it fast enough, then you don't like lose speed when you do it. There's so much nuance to Mario's movements. And if you watch some of these speed runs, you can see what basically taking Mario's movements to the next level looks like the the amount that there is to be done with just like how amazingly they they basically built the foundation of that game is the fact that you have to be you can be so precise and do all these crazy things. And it's it's really fun. And it's what made that game so amazing is because if you knew how to move well with Mario, you could basically solve stars way easier than even like the main way you're supposed to solve them. Because if you were good at wall jumping and doing all these certain jumps, so it's just like they created a really fun character control and then just gave you this amazing playground to to control him in. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's just incredible. Yeah, it it's no accident that this is one of the most revered games of all time for that exact reason that Ryan mentioned. Because with that added third dimension in these games, like it was really one of the first games where you were able to almost like break the level just by being able to control it better. Like you could figure out those ways to almost cheat just by moving and timing your jumps, right. And maybe skipping a section or making this section easier than it was supposed to be. It's not something you could really do too much in 2d platformers because you were always kind of limited by the length of the level and how far you were able to move in it. But now all of a sudden when you've got this three-dimensional playground and these precise controls and um, things that can link together like Super Mario 64 has, like it really, it like I said, there's no accident that it is as good as it is just having all of those factors together. And I was just watching a video from uh, GameSack and, and the topic, it was... Uh, 2D games that failed to make a really healthy transition to 3D. Like maybe the sequels eventually got better, but it's like that shift. And he had talked about uh, Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim is like a very beautiful 2D game, right? But with 2D games, more often than not, with the exception of, I guess, something like Super Metroid, there's not a lot of adventure in a platformer game. It's very much get to this checkpoint, right? Cross this thing. It's from point A to from po- from point A to point B, but when you go to 3D, a lot of that gets taken away because it's more about the experience, right? It's like here's a sandbox, and you got to get to this point, but you can spend 20 minutes doing nothing. And as you guys mentioned, the, the most mind blowing thing for Mario 64 for me was, hey, you can technically follow the traditional route. But if you get really good at momentum, you can skip half the levels, you can skip a lot of stuff. And it's not with uh, mods, right? Like people have exploited the game, but it's a lot of things that put yourself in a developer's shoes. Like this is the first mainstream, like top-notch AAA platformer, right? That people remember. And I remember like a couple years later, even in the N64, a lot of companies just could not match it. And 
whether you like Nintendo as a business or not, you know, Nintendo's historically, they freaking added Bluetooth on the on the Switch. It was there the whole time. It was there the whole freaking time. It's just like, they, they didn't flip the damn Switch, guys. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, do you know we could do this? No? Oh, we can? People already forked oh, 40 as, bucks on as accessories. Brilliant, yeah. yeah, as brilliant as Nintendo can be sometimes, sometimes the most obvious things, they just, they just totally miss, but... And that's the thing is the the kind of the, the 3D collectathon, what kind of became the blueprint for 3D platformers was not even the original plan. With Mario 64, their original idea was to have it be like Super Mario World, where you had a bunch of levels that you had to get through. But they realized when they started making the levels that, you know, we're not going to be able to create like 50 different levels. So they ended up saying like, okay, how can we make the most out of each of the levels that we're making? And that's where they came up with the idea of having objectives instead of having, you know, 50 different levels that you just go from start to the end. Yeah. So overall, it's when when you think about the launch of the N64, at least for me, and then I'll take it over to you guys even though it's the most limited launch lineup we've ever seen in a console and probably ever will, it's arguably the perfect launch lineup because whenever you leap into a new generation, I think we've all been bummed out. Like, uh, what are some of the complaints people have said about the PS5 and the Series X when they came out, right? Especially because of COVID and all that. But generally speaking, it's like, oh, so I'm getting the new console to essentially play my older games in better performance, but where's that leap? And even now, people are still saying, okay, this looks a little bit better. Where's that leap? And Nintendo just said, look, here, here, here it is. You want the leap. You don't got to get five games. You don't got to wait two years. Here, here it is. Once you got that, it's like, okay, hey, Nintendo, once you have the other games that come out, I mean, we eventually got stuff like Smash, which even though it's 2D, it does show like what you can do in that 3D environment, but at least for me, and we'll be talking about this two episodes down the line, by the way, the legacy of the N64, but at least for me, the launch lineup is less is more, and I don't think you could do it any better with the game that we got. What about you mm -hmm. guys? Nintendo is really good at just having that one game that they use to sell a system, whether it be Super Mario World, Super Mario 64, Wii Sports, Breath of the Wild. They always make sure that they have, whether they succeed or fail, they have that one thing that really like drives the system home. And I think what this the is Wii one you of have? <laughs> uh, well, that's one of the times that they failed. Nintendo Land didn't exactly hit the mark. Yeah. But exactly it, case in point. Case in point. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a, it's just I think that Super Mario 64 is one of if not the best example of Nintendo having that one thing to really prove why you need this new thing. Yeah, I would say the only downside was that yeah, obviously, there's some gamers out there where Mario 64, that type of game just isn't their style. And for that, it didn't really they had no reason to get a Nintendo 64 for quite a while. And maybe that's why PlayStation, there was a lot more people kind of jumping to PlayStation. But I think for most gamers that appreciated that platformer style, then they were more than satisfied with uh, the incredible game that Mario 64 was. 
Yeah. So for everybody uh, listening, you can definitely let us know what you think about uh, the launch lineup like Super Mario 64. You can head over to uh, on Twitter, Quest Rewind, same thing on Facebook. If you're listening to us on podcast apps, the link to our Discord is available right there. And while you're at that, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, that five-star review really does help out. We try to have this carefully curated series where right now we are publishing five episodes for the N64. The first one talked about the birth. Now we have the launch. The next episode, people, it's going to be about the games that came out within the first 12 years of the N64. First year. First 12 months. First 12 12 (laughs) years, man. My goodness. We're going to talk about every single Nintendo 64 game Games are still coming out to this day, people. They're still coming out. 12 months of the N64. 12 regular years. Hey, the Game Boy lasted a long time. That's not true. I think I lost it though. But anyway, so that is over there on uh, the uh, the Discord if you want to join that conversation. But after the next episode, which is the first 12 months, then we'll be publishing an episode about the legacy of the N64. So after those 12 years, after the console expired, <laughs> what do we really think about the console as a whole? And then on episode five, people, we are going to be reviewing one specific game from that initial library, uh, Mr. McNulty. Ryan, do me the honors. What is the game that we'll be talking about? That will be a game I've actually never played more than a few minutes of, and that is Star Fox 64. So I'm looking forward to finally getting my hands on that game. <laughs> I don't... That, that's no. Keith, just for yeah, those in the audio I don't know if, don't know if that impression is <laughs> landing right now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Everybody that's going to be doing it for this episode, hopefully everybody's been enjoying it. And as we mentioned, it's uh, we're going to be publishing episodes, taking a bit of a break as we plan out the future ones. So whether it be a council, a genre, like, hey, I set out an idea there. What if we could do five episodes on something related to Star Wars video games or a particular year in, in a video game? So the box is open. It's up to all of you to fill it in with some of that video game goodness. So up until next time, this has been another edition of Quest Rewind. Take care, everybody.